welcome to the Who's Left podcast, a show about Indiana politics, history, and culture from the unapologetic perspective of the Hoosier left. My name is Scott Aaron Rogers, and I'm recording from Bloomington. This past Tuesday, many jurisdictions nationwide held off-year elections, including municipal conduct, uh, contests all over Indiana. We will cover our state in detail, but first, a few notable results from elsewhere. Generally speaking, the national narrative is that Democrats, and democracy itself, had a great night. In New Jersey, Republicans felt they had their best chance to capture the state legislature since before anyone had heard of Snooky or the situation. Instead, Democrats successfully defended every seat in the narrowly held state Senate and picked up five seats in the House. Moving slightly west, in Pennsylvania, Democratic Superior Court Judge Daniel McCaffrey defeated Republican Montgomery County Court of Common Pleas Judge Carolyn Carluccio for a seat on the state Supreme Court. Liberals on the bench, which has had a vacancy since the death of Democratic Chief Justice Max Baer last fall, will now hold a 5-2 advantage over the court's conservatives. Down the road in Virginia, Republican Governor Glenn Youngkin, the MAGA wolf in a sheep's fleece vest, hoped to bolster his national profile for a potential presidential run and enact a 15-week abortion ban by investing over $12 million from his Spirit of Virginia PAC to win the legislative trifecta entering the General Assembly in Richmond Red. To his chagrin, Democrats maintained their hold on the Senate and flipped the House of Delegates, stymieing the private equity billionaire governor's MAGA agenda and maintaining the Old Dominion state's status as the last bastion of reproductive rights in the South. Once a part of Virginia, our southern neighbor Kentucky also held elections for statewide offices. Though Republicans were victorious in the contests for Attorney General, Secretary of State, Auditor, Treasurer, and Commissioner of Agriculture, incumbent Democratic Governor Andy Bashir handily won re-election over current Attorney General Mitch McConnell's uh, protege and Trump-endorsed Daniel Cameron, the Bluegrass State GOP's cynical attempt to hide their MAGA agenda behind a black face, a clear failure. Our eastern neighbor, Ohio, may have been the center of America's political attention Tuesday, and as such, I'll give them a little extra time. Ohio is only one of 16 states that allow constitutional amendment by direct democracy. On July 5th of this year, abortion rights advocates unloaded two trucks carrying more than 400 boxes and the signatures of 710,000 Ohioans, delivering them to the slimy Secretary of State Frank LaRose, proving they have the support needed to force a ballot measure asking voters to enshrine reproductive freedom in the state's constitution. Thus, Issue 1 on this November's ballot, the right to reproductive freedom with protections for health and safety, would add the following to the Ohio Constitution. A. Every individual has a right to make and carry out one's own reproductive decisions, including but not limited to decisions on 
contraception, fertility treatment, continuing one's own pregnancy, miscarriage care, and abortion. B. The state shall not, directly or indirectly, burden, penalize, prohibit, interfere with, or discriminate against either an individual's voluntary exercise of this right or a person or entity that assists an individual exercising this right unless the state demonstrates that it is using the least restrictive means to advance the individual's health in accordance with widely accepted and evidence-based standards of care. However, abortion may be prohibited after fetal viability, but in no case may such an abortion be prohibited if, in the professional judgment of the pregnant patient's treating physician, it is necessary uh, to protect the pregnant patient's life or health. So, by any sane account, this is a popular middle-of-the-road position held by most Ohioans and most Americans. Still, according to the Brennan Center, a nonpartisan law and policy institute, quote, Proponents had to overcome multiple hurdles thrown up in the past several months by anti-abortion politicians. They also had to overcome voters' general reluctance to change the Constitution. In the past 15 years, out of more than 60 campaigns in Ohio, only three amendments had passed before this one. Using every lever of government at their disposal, the corrupt, fake Christian zealots LaRose and Governor Mike DeWine first engineered an August special election, cynically designed to make it more difficult to amend the Constitution in future referenda, raising signature requirements and the threshold for passage from 50% plus one to 60% going forward, including on this November's ballot. This, after having outlawed such summer elections earlier this year, deeming them too expensive for the low turnout and not worth the trouble. Instead of the typical dismal turnout, reproductive freedom activists drove record numbers of voters to the polls for an August election, overwhelmingly clearing this devious hurdle. Still, forced birthers were not done. They intentionally made the text on the ballot confusing and emotionally charged, ran misleading ads, and seeing the writing on the wall. DeWine even totally piggy swore he could maybe consider tweaking the existing extreme six-week abortion ban to allow exceptions for rape, incest, and the life of the mother if the voters would just please reject the right to exert autonomy over their own bodies. Once again, Ohioans were not tricked, passing issue one by nearly 14 points. Since the bought and sold, packed, stolen Supreme Court overturned Roe in 2022, citizens everywhere, from battlegrounds like Michigan and Wisconsin to so-called ruby-red states like Kansas and Montana, have overwhelmingly shown up to vote in favor of privacy, reproductive choice, and bodily autonomy. Now, speaking of privacy and what one does with their own body, 
Issue 1 was not the only citizen-led ballot initiative presented to Buckeye State voters this week. Issue 2 asked citizens to allow sale, purchase, and possession of cannabis for Ohioans who are 21 and older, subject to a 10% tax. The measure permits adults to possess up to 2.5 ounces of marijuana, up to 15 grams of cannabis concentrate, and grow up to six plants at home. Now, unlike Issue 1, which amends the state constitution, Issue 2 appeared as an initiated statute. Though the governor cannot veto such statutes, legislators can still propose and modify the new law, which also passed by a similar 57-43 march. So, this means the Hoosier state is surrounded on all sides by states with at least some form of legal cannabis. Illinois, Michigan, and now Ohio will allow recreational sales, while Kentucky will permit medical marijuana beginning in 2025. According to a press release from Governor Andy Beshear's office last year, quote, A total of 37 states, the District of Columbia, Guam, Puerto Rico, and the U.S. Virgin Islands allow cannabis for medical use by qualified individuals. In May 2021, Alabama legalized medical cannabis. Last year, Mississippi and Rhode Island did the same. Kentucky's neighboring states of Ohio, Illinois, Missouri, and West Virginia have also legalized medical cannabis. End quote. West Virginia, Alabama, Mississippi, Kentucky? Come on, Indiana, get with the program. We're going to let Kentucky out-progress us? Ah, last year, Illinois pulled $562 million into the state's coffers from taxes on marijuana sales. Michigan, $326 million. Our other neighbors will soon join the party. Now, I don't know anybody who contributes to our border states. Revenue stream in such a fashion. Excuse me. But think of the ways that kind of money could be used to improve our seventh worst quality of life ranking, at least according to CNBC. 45th in education, 44th in life, health, and inclusion. Republicans have had a trifecta control the governor's mansion, the House, and the Senate in Indianapolis for 15 years now. How's that going for us? Maybe one day... Hoosier leaders will wake up from the Stone Age and <laughs> jump into the Stone Age, man. But until then, we cheer our neighbors for their hard work, their organization, and their victories this Tuesday. Here's to democracy. Power of the people. Smoke them if you got them. Let's take a break before we get into the Indiana results. Do you appreciate whatever this is I do here at Who's Left? Please, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and if you use Apple Podcasts or another such platform where you can leave a rating and write a review, please do so. Engagement really helps us reach like-minded people, and hopefully persuadable others. Please, share with your friends and family. We need more people to get informed and excited and participate in state and local government. 
If you are in a position to financially support the program, the best way to do so is by subscribing at the paid level over at scotteronrogers.substack.com. While you're there, you can find my essays, campaign finance research, and past episodes of the show. This project is my side gig. I'm a handyman contractor by day, father and unpaid Uber driver to two kids, a fierce sophomore on the girls' wrestling team, and an inspiring disabled young man learning to be independent and beginning his higher education journey. I am a husband to a long-term care nurse who works way too hard with way too little help for way too little pay in a system that rewards owners and shareholders while undervaluing patients and their caregivers. They, you, deserve better. Better state governance than the Republican supermajority in Indianapolis uh, delivers. And we all deserve thoughtful media to counter the far-right hate speech pumped out daily by the likes of Dan Dockich, Tony Katz, and the countless interchangeable, insecure small men on syndicated talk radio. The corporate media will not help us. So, I aspire, with your help, to bring a progressive message and hopefully enough levity to keep us from going crazy to the Hoosier State, not just in my spare time, but full-time. That's the goal. I think, realistically, if we can get to 750, 1,000 paying subscribers, I could and would love to speak with you like this daily. Again, the website is scottaaronrogers.substat.com. I humbly ask for your support. And we're back. Now, let's look at Indiana, and I'm going to start right here in Bloomington. I am embarrassed to admit this year is the first time I've volunteered on Election Day. But I promise it's not the last. I spent the day at Monroe County Democratic Party headquarters as part of the voter protection team. Fortunately, everything went pretty smoothly, and there weren't any fires to put out at the county's polling locations. But it was an enlightening experience regardless. I got to have an extensive conversation with uh, Monroe County Democratic Party Chair David Henry and spent most of my time learning from D. Owens, a longtime activist, fountain of knowledge, and an absolute treasure. When the polls closed, we headed into the watch party where I got to see some real inspiring, energetic new leaders rejoice in their victories and lay out a progressive vision for the city. First, Carrie Thompson assumed the title of mayor-elect. She is the former CEO of Habitat for Humanity of Monroe County, who took charge of an organization in debt and guided it to unprecedented growth with a $6 million mortgage portfolio and hundreds of thousands in investments, helping Habitat build affordable homes for more than 400 families in the area. In 2018, after more than 20 years dedicated to local affordable housing, Carrie was appointed executive director of the IU Center for Rural Engagement, which partners with rural communities on initiatives designed to improve quality of life and invigorate economic vitality. Under her leadership, the center's reach has expanded into 50 of Indiana's 92 counties 
impacting 20,000 Hoosier lives through 300 different projects. She vows to fight self-satisfaction and complacency in City Hall, bringing generational change and new energy to the office. My last podcast guest, Hobie Stosberg, won her District 3 council seat by an overwhelming 83-17 margin, bringing a fresh outside-the-IU bubble perspective to the city's legislative body. At the end of the, uh, end of the spectrum, squarely in the IU bubble, barely 21-year-old Sydney Zulich, who just graduated last spring, in only three years, with degrees in international law and Russian, is set to represent the newly drawn District 6, a majority student district formed by an independent re uh, redistricting committee at the urging of current District 6 Councilman Steve Volan, who will be leaving the council after two decades of service. Volan, who sat at my table Tuesday night, also hosts a podcast called What's the 311 U.S., a national talk show about local government. I smell a future crossover episode. Also winning an at-large seat on Bloomington City Council was Isak Asare, the co-director of the Cybersecurity and Global Policy Program at the Hamilton Luger School of Global and International Studies at IU. He is also senior associated, uh, sorry, senior associate at Oxford Insights and the co-founder and former chief research officer at Fairframe a startup using machine learning and natural language processing to identify implicit bias in text. The Swedish-born Asare is a 2011 IU alum, got his master's from Oxford, has lived and worked in 10 countries, speaks five languages, is a leukemia survivor, and father to the cutest baby at Tuesday's watch party. Very impressive guy. Best speech of the night, Big Obama vibes, and not just because, to quote the former president himself, he's a skinny kid with a funny name. Bloomington is in capable hands going forward. But the good news doesn't stop there. Heading west on State Road 46, four-term incumbent Terre Haute Mayor Duke Bennett was handily ousted by 27-year-old Brandon Sackbutt. The son of immigrants from Cambodia and Jamaica, Sakban earned a financial degree from IU's Kelly School of Business and then spent nearly five years in the U.S. military, including two deployments as an Army Ranger. He will become the youngest ever mayor of his hometown, which also elected a unanimously Democratic City Council Tuesday night, including Candace Hinton, the first black woman to serve, the Terra, uh, to serve Terre Haute in that capacity. Keeping things in southwestern Indiana. 110 miles down US 41, Evansville also made history, electing Stephanie Terry as mayor of Indiana's third largest city. The former public health administrator and executive director at the Children's Museum of Evansville, she will be the first woman and the first African American to hold the position. Democrats also swept every contested city council race, defeating two incumbent Republicans leaving one lonely GOP around the council. In northwest Indiana, my hometown of Michigan City also elected a black woman to the office of mayor, the first African-American to win the honor. Common council member and diversity, equity, and inclusion consultant Angie Nelson-Deutsch, who holds a master's degree in public administration, 
defeated incumbent Republican Dwayne Perry in a 64-33 landslide. Perry, who in 2022 was charged with leading the scene of an accident that damaged property in Washington Park and ripped the exhaust system off his city-owned vehicle while he, quote, had been drinking, unquote, had previously faced calls to resign after he'd left a racially insensitive voicemail on the phone of a black pastor in March of 2021. Congratulations to everybody back home on ousting the embarrassing Perry. Mayor-elect Nelson Deutsch will inherit a unanimously Democratic city council upon her swearing in come January and a completed major double-track upgrade to the South Shoreline commuter railroad come May, reducing travel time to Chicago by more than 30%. Evansville and Michigan City are joined by the current, uh, are sorry, are joined by the city of Lawrence in electing black women to the top job. Deb Whitfield, current DEI director for Community Health Network, will assume the job having defeated Republican Deputy Mayor Dave Hoff. Lawrence is one of four small communities in Marion County that elect their own mayor, in addition to voting for municipal office holders in the unified city county government of Indianapolis. In easily the most, expen uh, most expensive and probably most ill-coiffed mayoral race in the state's history, the capital city's two-term incumbent Joe Hogsett squared off against storage unit tycoon Jefferson Shreve, who sold his Storage Express business empire to Utah-based extra storage space, excuse me, extra space storage last year for nearly $600 million. That massive haul allowed Shreve to contribute $13.5 million of the $14.5 million his campaign raised. Despite being outspent by more than a 2-to-1 margin, Hogsett still defeated the multimillionaire by nearly 20 points. I, along with the rest of central Indiana, welcome an end to the never-ending onslaught of Shreve ads on TV, radio, podcasts, and direct beam to the prefrontal cortex. Also notable in the Circle City, although Indianapolis Republicans are poised to gain one seat on the 25-member city-county council, Democrats will retain a 19-6 supermajority. 23-year-old Democrat Nick Roberts won a close race in District 4, raising more money and knocking on more doors than any city council candidate in history. Roberts also campaigned aggressively on social media, even receiving an assist from Luke Skywalker himself. Actor Mark Hamill lent a little force to the, gender, uh, to the Gen Z candidate, boosting Roberts on X, the platform formerly known as, and still called by, like, everybody, Twitter. Staying in Naptown, recent Who's Left podcast guest Jesse Brown, a Democratic socialist running on the Democratic Party ticket, defeated Libertarian Libby Glass in District 13 by a whopping 55 points. In doing so, Brown becomes the first socialist elected to any office in the state of Indiana since 1924. Jesse's victory elicited the following tweet from Tony Katz, WIBC's lead fascist blowhard and professional Americans for Prosperity Coke-whore. No, no, K-O-C-H, Coke. Well, Talk about Junior Trump some other time. Anyway, the tweet, quote, 
Indianapolis re-elected Joe Hogsett to a third term. Indianapolis elected socialist Jesse Brown. Nothing else to say. End quote. Let's hope Katz keeps the promise that he indeed has nothing else to say. Jesse Brown, folks, making Indianapolis break before he even assumes office. Let's take another quick break. Okay, we're back. So, listen, it wasn't all sunshine, rainbows, and unicorn farts on Tuesday. Although Mamas for Liberty, the Southern Poverty Law Center-designated anti-government extremist group I discussed at length a few months ago, endorsed more than 130 candidates in school board races across the country, only 51. That's less than 40%. That's good news. I think we've reached peak Moms for Liberty. Unfortunately, their extremist allies in Hamilton County, on the back of lies, dirty tricks, and a whole lot of money, didn't get the memo. In Carmel, with stalwart Republican Mayor Jim Brainerd retiring after serving an incredible seven terms, there was a competitive race for the top spot in the city for the first time since Coolio sat atop the charts. Now, Carmel has historically been a Republican stronghold, consistently voting straight GOP in local, state, and federal elections. Not exactly a gangster's paradise. However, the state's moneyed country club Republican enclave... Did you know Carmel has more roundabouts than people? ...has become increasingly competitive. For example, in 2020, the city voted for Joe Biden over Donald Trump. And in 2022, the eminently qualified Democrat Destiny Wells topped eventual winner, the eminently unqualified Republican Diego Morales. City Councilor Miles Nelson's 2019 win marked the first time a de uh, Democrat had ever won a seat on Carmel City Council. Nelson, this year's Democratic mayoral candidate, was challenged by City Council colleague Moms for Liberty's favorite candidate, Sue Finkham. Now, at this point, we all know about the hate group's Hamilton County chapter and their notorious Hitler-quoting inaugural newsletter. But by the way, way to, way to come in like a wrecking ball, ladies, am I right? More like a blitzkrieg. Though Finkham denounced the use of the quote, she refused to repudiate the book-banning, queer-hating, Christian nationalist, quote-unquote, parental rights group, going full-weaponized white woman victimhood. He called me a racist and a Nazi? Well, Sue, if there's a Nazi at the table and ten other people sitting there casually talking to her, you're at a table of eleven Nazis. Still, despite all this, the Republicans handily defeated uh, her opponent by 14 points. Just as Nelson became the first Democrat to win a seat on Carmel City Council four years ago, Jocelyn Vare became the first Democrat to win a seat in Fishers. Vare, one of my earliest guests, and 2021 special election winner Crystal Newman, sought to bring some friends to the council's Democratic caucus in the form of Howard Stevenson, president of the Fisher's Plan Commission and vice president of the Board of Zoning Appeals, and fellow planning commissioner Bill Stewart. 
Although Stewart narrowly defeated incumbent David Giffel, the other Dems fell short in close races. Most bitterly, Bear's seat on the council was usurped by Tiffany Dillison, the Candace Owens cosplayer and a realtor's blazer who co-founded local mega group Fisher's One, serves as president and chief book banner of Hamilton East Library Board, and allies with open Christian nationalist pastor and owner of the most pudgeable face in the state of Indiana, Michael Beckwith. Stewart will be the lone Democratic voice in elected city government. Republican Mayor Scott Fadness ran unopposed. Elsewhere in the state, GOP candidates flipped 14 mayoral seats in their favor, including Delphi, Greendale, Marion, Monticello, Portage, and Zionsville. And they still maintain control of the vast majority of elected offices in Indiana. Thus concludes the shit portion of today's shit sandwich. But look, overall, it was a really good election season for Hoosier Democrats. In addition to the uh, communities we already covered, Fort Wayne re-elected their Democratic mayor, Tom Henry. South Bend did the same with James Muller. City councils and communities including Valparaiso, Muncie, Jeffersonville, and Clarkville flew. According to the Indiana Democratic Party, quote, on January 1, 2024, over 300,000 Hoosiers that currently have a Republican mayor will have a Democratic mayor, thanks to the solid gains seen by Indiana Democrats on Tuesday. This is a solid foundation on which to build for 2024. And... I know you're probably tired of hearing this phrase, but next year's general election really is the most important election of our lifetimes. If you're not already scared shitless about a potential second Trump administration invoking the Insurrection Act on day one and implementing the Heritage Foundation's blueprint for American fascism, then head on over to Project2025.org next time you're in the job. And even if the federal institutions hold, and I believe they will, Indiana still deserves better from our state government. I know we have an uphill battle, but last week's wins show us the way. Abortion has been on the ballot in seven states since the stolen, corrupt, Federalist Society-owned Supreme Court throughout 50 years of precedent with last summer's decision in Dobbs versus Mississippi. In every instance, reproductive freedom of choice carried the day, even in GOP strongholds Kentucky, Kansas, and Montana. Medical privacy and bodily autonomy must be on the ballot in Indiana next year. Now, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Hoosiers do not have the ability to place citizens' referenda on the ballot. Our state is so gerrymandered, so rigged, the Indiana GOP is so hostile to direct democracy that the Ohio route is closed to us. Now, it's nice to see Hoosier Dems beginning to put the issue on the table. Senate Minority Leader Greg Taylor said, quote, 
Every citizen deserves the right to initiate and vote on ballot measures, and I'll continue fighting for Hoosiers to have that freedom in 2024. Our jobs are not to push for policies that serve our personal agendas, but for what Hoosiers have told us they want, end quote. Yes. State Democratic Party Chairman Mike Schpohl echoed the sentiment, saying, quote, Hoosier voters should have the same choices as our neighbors. We are becoming an island of restriction and not truly the crossroads of America, end quote. Agreed. Democratic gubernatorial candidate Jennifer McCormick said, quote, yes, let's go. 2024. Woo! I added the woo. In response to the question, do you think Indiana should have citizen-led ballot initiatives posed by WNDU South Bend on the train wreck formerly known as Twitter? It's great to see these folks publicly state these positions. But as Indiana Capital Chronicle editor Nikki Kelly noted, quote, it's a worthy fight for Democrats, but it would require Republican supermajorities in the House and Senate to willingly give up some power to regular residents. That's just not going to happen. End quote. And she's right. That's just not going to happen. Not in 2024, anyway. The only way Indiana women and their allies and anyone, frankly, who cares about state intrusion into one's most personal, private, intimate decisions get their rights back is to elect Democrats up and down the ballot next year. Period. But we have to give people someone to vote for. No seat can go uncontested. Every city, every county, every damn cornfield, if that's what it takes. And the party must go big and bold with its platform, meek centrism will not defeat MAGA extremism. A bully only understands a punch in the nose. Get mad. Get involved. Run for something. Do not give up without a fight. I will point you to everystateblue.org where you can donate to get Blue Indiana going. Also, uh, runforsomething.net Reach out to your local party chair. Just something. Voting is no longer enough. It is necessary, but not sufficient. Mega Republican Christian nationalist extremists have tilted the playing field in this state heavily in their favor. The republic itself is hanging by a thread. But we can renew American democracy. Hoosiers can enjoy the same rights as our neighbors. The tide is beginning to turn. A new generation of leaders are coming of age. But we can't rely on them alone. It must be all of us. Together. And ain't that democracy? You and me, baby. That's it for me this time. This has been the Who's Left Podcast. I'm Scott Aaron Rogers. Love each other, Indiana.